So who's ever had an appointment or a task to do on their to-do list when they wake up in the morning and they thought, you know what, I would just rather get a root canal instead. It'd just be so much more fun. I know there are some that certainly cross uh, that list. Dentist appointments often seem to fit the bill, certainly. Uh, sometimes my bride will ask me to deal with something, whether it's the kids that are fighting or, or something that I just don't want to do. And I'm like, can I just solve world hunger instead? It'd be so much easier to do. You know, maybe it's not even an appointment or a task that you have on your to-do list, but it's a conversation that you need to have with somebody. And you know it's going to be tough, or maybe even it's going to be ugly. You know, I had one of those this past year that sticks out in my mind, and I delayed it nonstop for longer than I'd even want to admit to. But then there came the point where I had tried to push it, put it off more and more and more, and I had no choice. And I'll admit it wasn't fun, but I'm not going to say that it wasn't good for me. It just wasn't fun or that it wasn't easy. You know, there are some to-dos that we don't think about if they're good for us or not. Rather, the inconvenience or the pain or the discomfort just automatically means it's going to go on the back burner. You know, we live by the, the idea that if it feels good, we do it. If it's not going to feel good, we avoid it, you know. Seek pleasure, avoid pain. That's kind of a, a base level motivation for human beings. But there's that ter a term that we use when we're putting some must-do thing on the back burner. It's called procrastination. And the thing is, it's not just all about time management or being lazy or, or avoiding something just simply for the sake of wanting to avoid it. And it goes way beyond just doing laundry or finishing a term paper if you're a student. The term actually means, procrastination actually means doing something against our better judgment. And it's not hard to connect that to our understanding of how it works when in those moments that we do procrastinate. The more we procrastinate, the more the effects of that compound on us. And the consequences or the effects can loom far larger than just a mountain of dirty laundry in the corner or a failing grade on a paper. And in today's story that we're going to look at, it's one maybe you've heard since you were four years old. Um, even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard of this story at least. And it's curious that the character we're going to look at today is one who actually voluntarily puts himself on the back burner, voluntarily sets himself up to give somebody else the spotlight. And we'll see where that ends up taking him. The story comes out of the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, um, that I'm going to read in sections to kind of edit some of the things out just for the sake of time to really hammer in on the point and get the story moving because it's like, 60 verses long, so I'm going to shave it down a little bit. Um, but these all come out of 1 Samuel 17. Check it out. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in the Ephas Damon. Saul and the Israelites gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and formed ranks against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on the other side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, about nine feet. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, 
Why have you come down to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of this Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hands of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Well, as you can imagine or maybe picked up, we often title this story, David and Goliath. It's a phrase that those two names just go together like salt and pepper. And it's a telling fact. And we're going to come back to this fact that this type of call out was really the norm in, in this time period. And we might think of it as like representative combat. You know, the valley between these two armies formed this natural coliseum where one representative from one nation would, would uh, come out and uh, another representative from the other nation would come out and they'd battle with the weight of the nation's on their shoulders because their loss meant the nation's loss. As Goliath had said, you know, if I, if I beat you, your whole nation will be our slaves. If he beats me, our nation will be your slaves. Because for about 300 years, Israel was led by God-appointed judges. We see it in the book of Judges, or the history of, of those 12 judges. And then Israel said, you know, we want to be like all the other nations out there. We want to have a human king. And God didn't want to do it this way because it was kind of like God was being replaced. Like, God, you're great, but you know what? We want a human king to sort of fill in the gaps where you're not there. And God eventually did give them what they wanted. But on the surface, Saul was the obvious choice. He was the guy, he was taller than the rest. He was more handsome than the rest, as the story accounts. You, you, you kind of picture this. Biblical Hugh Jackman in Wolverine. He was the man. And through Samuel, God anointed him king. But here's the trick. As the king, as the strongest fighter in the nation, Saul or Goliath was Saul's giant to fight. Goliath was the obvious choice for the Philistines as their champion, which is kind of the term for that representative warrior. But by the same token, Saul was the obvious choice for Israel. And when Goliath calls out, choose a man for yourselves, he's really calling Saul out. For 40 days, he's like, you know what? Step up, Saul. Let's get it on, you and me. And each day, Saul backs down from his fight. He procrastinates. You know, in, in a book that I've been reading as I prepared for this message that Chris Bell wrote, it's called Broken Crown. It's a, an analysis of this story, if you will. Chris says, Saul hoped, like many of us do, that the giant would simply go away. Saul didn't realize that every day the, the giant's challenge went unanswered, his own ability to lead the nation diminished. As Goliath's cry grew louder, Saul became weaker. Until the shepherd boy steps up. 
in 1 Samuel 17, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. By human standards, this was not the way it was supposed to go down. The fate of the nation wasn't supposed to rest on a pimply teenage boy. Ultimately, Saul, as king, as the obvious choice, hands off his armor and his calling as king. Because next comes a story you have probably heard since childhood, even if you never have gone to church. Even if your only reference to the story is football games and, you know, of the the ultimate champions and this sort of... um, Uh, bad news bears team coming up to to face them and David takes a stone in his sling and he rocks Goliath to sleep that was the moment that legacies changed I'm going to quote Chris Bell again here out of this book it was a great great book very very quick read too I, I definitely recommend it it says the honor of Israel should have been won by the blade of Saul's sword not by the rock in David's sling And though Saul would keep the title and the crown for quite a long time, until his physical death, the moment the giant's dead body hit the dirt of that valley, a new man held the hearts of Israel in his hands. And even worse, Saul would never be the same again. He was ultimately driven mad by that one time that he didn't step into the fight that he was called to. See it later on in 1 Samuel 18, verse 7. And the women sang to one another as they made merry, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Saul can't get over the fact. He gets, he's furious over the fact that they're giving me the thousands. Great, okay, fine, you killed thousands. But they're giving David the major props. He killed the ten thousands. So you see, very, right in the next verse, Saul was very angry for this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And though David would stay faithful, he was one who would never um, raise his sword up against Saul as his king. Saul spent his whole life hunting him down. And it's only really because of uh, some of David's friends, including Saul's own son, Nathan, that he would even stay alive. At the end of the story, after Saul's sons have died in battle, Saul's legacy is left to this verse. Out of chapter 31, verse 4. And Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, so that these uncircumcised may not come and thrust me through and make sport of me. He was in a battle at the time. But his armor bearer was unwilling, for he was terrified. So Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. Ultimately, this king who had everything in front of him, that's the legacy he leaves, falling on his sword. After, a lo- after far too long of going mad, stirred up by this one time when he procrastinated getting into the fight that had his name on it and abdicating that responsibility to a young teenage boy. So I'm not going to, I'm going to stop procrastinating the point of this. What's the thing you've been holding off on in your life? Maybe it's the doctor's appointment that you don't want to have because you don't want to hear the results from it. Maybe it's a tough conversation with a friend or a family member. Maybe it's a relationship of whatever flavor that needs to be cut out because it's toxic of of some kind. You know, and maybe it's something positive. I mean, we don't just procrastinate bad things. Sometimes we procrastinate 
good things. That new venture, that new hobby, that new job that you want to go after, that idea that you want to pursue. Procrastination doesn't always have to be the bad thing. Sometimes we hold back from the good out of fear that it won't work out. I'll be honest, I can be a complete grandmaster at this one. I can tell myself it can't be done with the legacy, uh, with the eloquence of Maya Angelou and the verbiage of a lifetime sailor. Gets pretty interesting in my head sometimes. But if I can twist the phrase a little bit, sometimes the mediocrity that we know or the mediocre that we know feels safer than the incredible that we don't know. See, life in a fallen world means we're going to have battles to fight. And that always involves risk. It always involves the potential for injury, the potential for defeat. Maybe it's you know not physically, but maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's um, mentally. But you know what? Defeat is all but guaranteed when we refuse to engage it. So this week, take a new look at whatever the it might be for you. Now, I'm not a prophet. As I said, I cannot guarantee that if you take that leap of faith, that it, I can't guarantee it's going to work out. You know, some t- the tough conversation that I mentioned earlier, that it, it could have blown up. It could have gotten pretty ugly. Thankfully, it didn't. But rather, it's been proving itself as a fight that was worth taking on. So here's my question for you. What's your fight? Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us a calling to enter into the fray of life, to take on those things that may be holding us back, whether it's a tough conversation, whether it's um, news that we need to hear, a practice we need to change for good or for bad. Give us courage. Give us the courage not to procrastinate, not to put off the things we know that we need to do. Give us the courage to take them on, to challenge the good in the the hopes for the incredible that you have in store for those who are called according to your purpose. All this we pray in your name. Amen.